Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ideas Matter by William Collins. The big ideas of our times discussed by the brightest thinkers. It's 9.45am and the editors of William Collins, publishers of hard facts for over 200 years, have gathered for the weekly podcast meeting. And as another year draws to a close, the conversation naturally turns to the team's publishing highlights. We were publishing a book written by Paula Byrne to tie into a film called Bell. The film had been released in America and had been seen by the great purple one. This is Arabella. Prince, um, who fell in love with its star, extremely beautiful actress, and decided uh, on a whim that he would offer a private concert to the guests at the UK premiere. So we went to see the film, we drank some amazing champagne after the film, and then we were all bussed uh, to Leicester Square and had a private concert by Prince in this very small, very intimate room. It was phenomenal. Carlos, who is the Bible and religious publishing manager, believes his publishing highlight to be... The infographic Bible um, that came out last year, a visual representation of uh, the metadata found in the Bible. And I think it's just a phenomenal coffee table book. Whether you're a Christian or not, I think you can just look at it and just appreciate how beautiful and the, the time it's taken to actually create. Miles, true to form, returns to all matters zoological. So the highlight of my publishing life was sitting, in, of all places, in a recording studio in what they at the recording studio like to call Queen's Park, but the rest of us know as Kilburn, with Sir David Attenborough. And David was reading J.A. Baker's The Peregrine. And for one morning, everybody there, including, I think, David, was transported to the Essex Marshes. It was the most thrilling three hours. I can't wait to hear the whole thing. And Tom, for his publishing highlight, well, he's chosen Will Storr. Who he? I'm Will Storr, and the idea I want to raise today is what can science tell us about storytelling and what can storytellers tell us about science? So tell me, what does he mean when he says science of storytelling? As in the science being psychology, neuroscience. Will's book's mostly about how our brains process story and how, how we tell ourselves stories, the stories we tell ourselves, which basically make up the fabric of how we experience the world. He was chasing down all the all these psychologists and when he started reading books about story analysts and storytellers, he realised that they were sort of saying similar things. And his course sort of grew out of that. He sort of suddenly realised that neuroscientists and the psychologists had been sort of saying the same things as the creative writing teachers and and maybe that there was some sort of interesting interface between the two things so dear listener consider the words i'm speaking into your brain as an introduction into the world of will store in conversation with his editor tom killingbeck
in the book, it's, it's a mixture of neuroscience, evolutionary psychology and social psychology. And um, I think the evolutionary psychology was a really interesting one for me because, because that's when I started getting things about stories that I wasn't reading in any of the other storytelling books. And, and, and the big one um, that comes out of that work is, is, is there's, this, there's this kind of dominant theory in psychology right now that, that, that the human language evolved in the first place in order to swap gossip which sounds like a stupid thing to say, like a really ridiculous thing to say, but it makes perfect sense. So, you know, so humans are, are an ape. Like we're not like an ape, we are an actual ape. But the difference between us and the rest of the apes is that we're massively social, like we're unbelievably good at working together, so much so that some psychologists say that we're part ape, part B. So that's our superpower. We're amazing at, you know, division of labour, you do that, I'll do this, and we'll, we'll get it done together. Yeah. So, so, so how does that work? So in our evolutionary history, when our brains were evolving, we would have been roaming around a territory in loose bands of around 150 people. So how do you get 150 people to cooperate with no police force, with no judiciary, with no prisons? You know, is, how do you do it? You do it with gossip. You swap stories about people. You start, you know, when, so, so when, when somebody in the group is behaving selfishly, i.e. they're putting their own interests before that of the group... Mm people start gossiping about them what did you see me we did this thing and and then and then that gossip will trigger very specific emotion which is moral outrage and moral outrage motivates us to act so back in our tribal days it would have motivated us to deal with the transgressor that selfish person generally in one of three ways humiliation and mockery ostracization so kick them out of the tribe that's you know if, if things d- didn't get better and um we, we still fear ostracization unbelievably like psychologists say that ostracization is psychological death you know we we it's a it's a terrible experience for us still now because we still have the same brains and of course finally violence and and conversely if these stories um told of somebody putting the tribe's interest before their own so being being selfless we would have been motivated to kind of raise them up and celebrate them and you know feel grateful to them so these are our social emotions selfless versus selfless in uh, in moral outrage versus kind of celebration Um, and of course that's exactly what we see in storytelling you know over and over again in storytelling especially archetypal storytelling um, villains are somehow selfish and heroes especially you know the triumphal end of the story when they finally you know do the thing blow up the death star they're being selfless in some way and often especially in archetypal story telling selfless in a very specific way which is they're being selfless and by being courageous so they're being courageous so you're putting everyone's interest before your own safety and of course selfless courage would have been a big one in the tribal tribal days because because our tribes were not only um, having to defend itself from predators, but also from right other tribes. You know, we were a, we were a fairly aggressive um, tribal species. So, so, so that kind of selfless courage, we're wired to respond with great celebration when we experience selfless courage, and we're wired to feel, you know, moral outrage when we see selfish behaviour. And 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 because we we can't physically punish a selfish person in a story, that moral outrage motivates us to comp- to continue watching the film or turning the pages until. Oh, we get the relief of finally seeing them get their comeuppance at the end of the story. So, so, so you, you get to see, you, suddenly you start seeing all these things in storytelling that are inherent in storytelling. As soon as you see them, you go, "Of course, they're everywhere." That there aren't. I, I never saw these some of these ideas spoken about in any, any other storybook. So that that was quite exciting. Yeah, and I think that that whole sort of idea of moral outrage. Is, is obviously as soon as you sort of start thinking about that in relation to stories, you can't really you can't unsee, you can't really read or watch anything without <laughs> yeah. thinking, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But also, I, I guess a, a huge part of your sort of thesis in the book is about change mm. and about how narratively change is almost the sort of the most urgent thing for the brain. Like what what we want in a story is to have our expectations 
you know, overturned or we want a little fragment of information that's going to sort of, you know, a little breadcrumb trail, which is gradually leading us to some sort of revelation yeah. or that sort of thing. And I, I wonder what what's going on in our brains and why, why is why is that? Why, why are we so obsessed with change in stories? So another thing that humans are really good at compared to any other animal, including other, other apes, is that we're really good at understanding the causes and effects of the world. So we're obsessed with finding out how does one thing lead to another? That's how we understand the world, cause and effect. So we, we, the brain detects unexpected change. It's automatically drawn to that unexpected change. Uh, so um, uh, three to five month old human infants will be attracted to unfamiliar patterns, over familiar patterns in a way that chimpanzees aren't. You know, we, 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 anything unexpected, we, we're kind of drawn to it. And then we immediately start asking, the, uh, we become curious and we become curious to know exactly how does this thing cause that thing? So, so, so that's, that, that, that's kind of fundamentally how we, get, we, we build these extremely complex models of, of realities. Yeah. So, so there was an experiment um, which involved um, babies and chimpanzees and they gave babies these um, wooden blocks with uh, sham weights in them. So when you tried to stack the blocks, they'd fall over. So yeah. the chimpanzees just kept trying to stack the blocks and they'd fall over and they would carry on. But the babies, the pre-verbal babies, would start examining the blocks, asking them, clearly asking, how is this happening? Mm. What's the cause of this? So, so, that, so that's, that's how we're sort of building curiosity. Um, so, so, so psychologists call this information gaps. You make it clear to a brain that there's something about the world that you don't know. Mm. And you do that by presenting it with an incomplete information set. And this is the basis of whole entire genres of storytelling. Police procedural drama, for example, mm. is, is all about information gaps. It begins with an unexpected change as a corpse. And then, and then the question is, who done it? What led to this death? Um, and, and then the really good ones, in, you know, we were introduced to a cast of characters around that corpse. And, and we start getting these informa- incomplete information sets about their potential motives for wanting to kill that person. So, so you, it begins to be a cause and effect mystery about human behaviour, which is the most kind of fascinating thing to people. Mm. You know, cause and effect fueled by curiosity is a, is a fundamental of how we understand the world and also a fundamental of how of the structure of storytelling life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs united healthcare can help get you covered with health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans they supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I suppose beyond just the sort of mechanisms of plot, absences, you know, your information gaps 
also apply to character in a big way. Yeah. Like a lot of the great romantic films are often predicated around some sort of information you don't know about yeah. the romantic lead. You know, like in any Jane Austen, there's always some sort of thing you don't know about this person that might completely change your perception of them. Or in Rebecca, you might have a com- you know completely different motivations. Well, that's some it. And, and that was the that was the genius of Shakespeare. That was the thing that he discovered in 1600. That if you take out that stuff, you throw the audience into um, this state of curiosity about the causes of a person's behaviour. Mm. So in the book, I write about King Lear and. King Lear, uh, as everyone probably knows, begins with this king towards the end of his reign and he decides I'm going to um, divide my kingdom between my three daughters. I'm going to do it by giving them a love test. And whoever swears their love to me can the most convincingly gets the most, right? So so it's it's a ridiculous thing to do. In the source play, you're you're given the reason why he did the love test, which is that Cordelia, his favourite daughter, wanted to marry for love. But he wanted Cordelia to marry for dynastic purposes. Mm. So the love test was a trick because he, what, 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 he, what he thought was going to happen was Cordelia said, I love you more than my other sisters. And he would go, well, OK, prove it then. Marry who I want you to marry. So that was explained. But Shakespeare took that out, which was just a genius thing to do because suddenly you've got this insane King Lear doing this love test and you're not told why he's doing it. And, and, and so, so that throws you into this state of curiosity. Who is this guy? Like, what is going on with this man? And, 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 and by not spelling it out it just makes the story infinitely more kind of rich and deep and compelling not only because you're thrown into this state of curiosity about the causes and effects of his behavior but also because it enables you to kind of throw yourself into the story you start automatically asking why would a person do a thing like that and would i do a thing like that and what what kinds of things would cause me to do a thing like that and do i know anyone that's you know as you start in the back of your head asking all these questions so it really was an, an extraordinary kind of leap in the art of storytelling this and uh, and as you say i mean it, 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 kind of, it, it kind of changed everything that 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 thing and it was really to, to me it was this, it was this reconnection with the ancient tribal storytelling because because what's the purpose of gossip you know the first storytelling the, the, the stuff that we evolved language in order to swap was to find out the answer to that question who is this person that's what gossip's about. Mm. Are they selfless or are they selfish? Like when the chips are down, when the drama's on, who actually are they? And that's what makes it compelling and interesting. That's what when we're, when we're hearing gossip and we're sharing gossip, that's the juicy stuff. Why do they do that? And if we're told, it's less interesting. You're not curious anymore. You, the curiosity has been, has been killed. So, so, so I think that's a really, that idea of not forensically explaining the causes mm. of a... I mean, you can't... Like in Citizen Kane, which is also right about in the book, they explain it, but it's the, the causes of Charles Foster Kane's behaviour, but literally in the very final frame of the film, which is genius because then suddenly all your yeah. curiosity is satisfying, well, It all obviously. seems to come back to that classic thing of sort of show, don't tell. Exactly, yeah. But also, it's, it's interesting as an editor to hear all about that stuff because, you know, there are sort of famous stories of how taking things out of stories has improved them. Like, yeah. Like, I think I mentioned this to you when we, when you were writing the book is, and I'm not sure if this is completely true, but someone once told me, some editor once told me that um, at the beginning, w- when Lord of the Flies was first sort of delivered to, to the editor, it had a sort of preceding chapter where all the boys were on the plane in some sort of just dystopian or sort of futuristic London or other big city where they we were sort of fleeing from some sort of you know apocalyptic scenario or something like that and 
obviously, you know, that chapter where the plane went down was just completely taken out so that the story itself had no preceding context. There was no sort of reason why these boys had just landed on this island. They just had. Wow. And and it makes it, I guess, much more of a parable or or it sort of strips out a sort of level of the outside world in that story, which makes it, I think, a lot richer and, and a much more of a... Because, that, that, you know, Lord of the Flies is such an interesting sort of primordial, weird tribal thing anyway. Yeah. And to have to have some sort of laborious added context of some sort of apocalyptic Britain yeah. or, or whatever does it you know taking that out does change things yeah, and I think it, there's a similar thing with Picnic at Hanging Rock like there was originally a final chapter that went some way to to explain why these girls had gone missing at Hanging Rock yeah. and and it's interesting how absence can sort of improve a story a lot like yeah I, I do and I, I, I do I think it's about that enabling you to enjoy that kind of delicious tantalizing state of curiosity about who, who these people are that behave in this way and what, what they're doing I, I think I think there is a danger though and I think the danger is when you watch shows like Lost or yeah. season two of Twin Peaks where people like you know JJ Abrams and David Lynch are brilliant at opening these information gaps who killed Laura Palmer yeah what, but not know, good at closing yeah, them. but, they're, they're, but they're, yeah and 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 that's the that's that's the trick and, and, and it's a bad trick because, because they open all the information gaps without really knowing what they're doing they're, they're, they're having great fun creating curiosity but they don't actually know what's going on themselves so you end up being kind of bitterly disappointed and in fact i loved twin peaks and was gutted when i um uh, saw season two and that mm. they didn't, it was obvious they didn't really know who killed laura palmer and they made up this stupid story about a, a ghost called bob it was just Bob. <laughs> what? You know, it was rubbish and it was it was irritating. <laughs> and um, and when I saw Lost, when I saw the first episode, I thought this is another Twin Peaks. They have got no idea what's going on, and I was right. Yeah. So I saved myself hours. But beyond, <laughs> beyond but beyond plot and whether those 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 elements are satisfying or not, I guess your principle. Um, concern in the book and in your, your general you know you teach a, a course on this as mm. well and um, we should say um, re- very regularly and so it's sort of an evolving process for you but it feels like you've always come back to character as the key of stories and, and what are in your opinion the sort of core elements that that must be in a character because you know with, with all, I think a lot of science fiction and things it is all plot it's all look at this shiny look at this thing I've created this world I've created this idea yeah. and often the and the reasons a lot of those books for me are unsatisfying sometimes is is because the characters aren't believable or or yeah. aren't involving enough and they're sort of ciphers and in a lot of genre fiction you do end up with this sort of stock characters and mm. and your argument of the much richer story has creates characters that are essentially human and have human concerns and are believable as humans and i wonder what uh, what those sort of core human elements are that you think are totally essential for a character to have yeah so i, mean, that, that, I think that's the big that, that's the big problem with, with 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 storytelling is that is that is that because story analysts have only been able to analyze story by comparing stories before um, so, so you end up with this recipe and people, people think oh well if I follow the recipe I'll have a bestseller and you know sometimes they get publishing deals and sometimes they, they, their screenplays get made into to TV shows but, they are, but, but, but they do have that touch of kind of banality to them and they're unsatisfying and I think that's because that, 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 that there's a, just a huge misunderstanding about what plot is about, about, about the, the, the place of plot so for me the, 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 it's like the plot is the cake mix 
mixer but the, but the, the the actual cake mixture the delicious cake mixture is the, is the is the character the plot's only there to test the character the plot's only there to push the character around and uh, and show us who they are to answer that central dramatic question which is who is this person so the plot is of secondary importance if you're if you're wanting to make great great story I mean, it's extremely important but it, but it's but it's most important to get the the character right because the plot is only there to serve the character the plot comes out of who the character is and the plot is designed to as i say to, to, to test who they are and to change who they are so that's where i think people have got things kind of back to front and that's why you know in the book especially at the back i've got this i kind of mark out a, a process of building story which is character first and plot second because it, it, in life our, our plots our lives our our struggles the things we get wrong the things that bash us around are a product of who we are and specifically they're a product of the flaws they're, they're the product of the, of the mistakes we're making about the world you know we, we we have these kind of go-to tactics for controlling the world that are usually a bit wrong and 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 and, and react characteristically and that creates more problems and that creates more problems and then you know we, and, and and these are the stories of our lives you know the things that we want come out of are a product of our character there are kind of secret dreads that mistakes we make comes out of our character so that and that should also be true in story um uh, so in I, I don't think i write about it in the book but in my class i give the example of the film falling down a great screenplay for falling down you know because we talk about how story begins with unexpected change and you know you you, you so you immediately think oh is an asteroid crashing into the earth or as a monster or a dead body is a big dramatic thing but falling down begins with a traffic jam that's the unexpected change in falling down it begins with a, a traffic jam on a hot day so why is that dramatic why is that a good plot point because of specifically who it's happening to so it happens to a character played by michael douglas who's kind of sacred flawed belief about the world he's a small c conservative and his sacred kind of flawed belief about the world is that america is falling down Everything's going wrong. Everything's going to crap. Um, people are rude. Uh, people don't have any respect anymore. The roads don't work, and so on and so on and so on. So, 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 so his breaking point is, is it's a hot day. It's gridlock, and, and, and as the, as the film fades up, you see, you know, a car sticker saying "Don't like my driving." Eat shit. There's a kid um, sticking a tongue out at him. There's a you know, people are shouting and swearing. There's an obnoxious yuppie on a mobile phone um, being obnoxious, and it just becomes overwhelming to him. So he gets out of his car and somebody says where are you going he says i'm going home so so why is a traffic jam a good you know a good plot point because specifically it's happened to this person because all of that stuff feeds into this kind of flawed perception he has of the world which is uh, america is falling down and then so he, he goes off um, and he decides he, 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 he's, he's his estranged daughter's birthday and he says i'm going to go to her birthday i'm going to walk across los angeles to get there um and so so he decides he's going to phone his ex-wife and tell her that that, that, that um that, that he's coming so, he go, so but he's only got a dollar bill he hasn't got any change so he goes into the shop and he and, and he says can i have some change and the guy says no you need to buy something so that completely feeds into his floor he's like god damn it you know no one's decent anymore so he goes to buy a can of coke and it's so expensive he doesn't have enough change to uh to, 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 to make the phone call so he loses his crap and goes oh my god i can't believe you're charging 80 cents for a soda or whatever it is and he gets so angry because that's his pretty he's, he's got has an anger problem. The guy behind the counter thinks he's being robbed, so he pulls out a baseball bat, at which point the muckle dogs counter gets the baseball bat and smashes up his store in a fury. And then he goes off on his journey and the next thing he meets are some gangsters who try to steal his um, briefcase and say but now he's got a baseball bat so he hits the gangsters and 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 now he's got their guns and now he's armed and that's how it goes on so that's so the plot comes out of who the character is the plot works because it's specifically poking at 
his floor of who mm. is this character? You know what? what uh, uh, the, 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 sorry, the floor of the characters, the character's floor, which is America is falling down, and 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 the plot comes out of him. It wouldn't work if it was anybody else but him. The reason I talk about this specific idea is because the most common problem I get in with writers, even experienced ones, is is that their their plot and their character are unconnected. So they come up with a great idea for a yeah. plot. And then they go, and then so then, and, and oh, it's brilliant. And they and they get, and, and, and I say, so well, tell me about your story. And and what they what they tell me is this sequence of things that happen. Okay, so who's it happening to? Oh, and they haven't really thought about it. So what you end up with is this kind of cut out and keep outline of a vaguely empathetic human yeah. <laughs> that it's happening to, and it's never going to work because b- b- because unless you know exactly who your character is, like precisely. Um, it's going to be very hard then to then kind of build a life for that character and build a plot that's going to test them, because as I said the plot has to be fine tuned to to work with that character. And and that sort of what you call the sacred floor approach. Yeah, it's been something that a lot of the reviewers have commented on as their sort of favourite bit of the book, and 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 sort of it's the, it is I guess the sort of culmination and sort of practical conclusion to the book that sort of sets the reader off to go and go and maybe have a think about all the principles that you've been talking about and it's also a good opportunity for us to talk about the sort of wider implications of the, yeah. of the book which um you know outside of creative writing outside of trying to write a film or, or or a book or anything like that it's sort of teaching you about how to sort of understand yourself as a, as a someone with a, with a sacred floor yeah. or, <laughs> and 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 i guess there's a lot of of, of stuff after you read this book, you sort of look around at the, the state of the media and, and and everything going on around us, and 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 see that that maybe um, the internet has sort of exacerbated yeah. some of these <laughs> some of these like qualities of humans, where we we have a very specific worldview that we've concocted from our personal sort of narrative yeah. point of view, um, and we find it very hard when that sort of rubs up against the narrative points of view of people who have had completely different experiences. And I wonder how how has the process of, of, of teaching creative writing, essentially, with a scientific point of view, changed your perception of of things like, poli- you know, our political points of view and, and our, the current sort of state of political discourse? And Yeah, it's massively changed it. You understand that this idea that's banded around a lot, which is the self as a story, is actually true. It's mm. not just like this crappy Deepak Chopra kind yeah. of TED Talk thing that just, just sounds deep, but is actually ridiculous. It is true. And to understand why it's true, you just have to flip it. It isn't that the, self, it isn't that the human mind copies stories. It's that, it's that stories copy the human mind. You know, over the millenn- you know, thousands of years, hundreds and thousands of years, story- storytellers have just worked at how, how, how the brain works. And so, and so that the story that the, the brain concocts for us is massively, massively simplified. It's a huge simplification uh, of what's going on. It, um, uh, because it's, it's making comprehensible the absolute chaos and injustice that surrounds us so it has to be simplified and, and there's no way you can think your way out of the story you're in the story you're the you're its hero especially when you get very emotional and passionate about your your political beliefs the very equipment with which you're experiencing reality is the thing that's telling you your story so you can't you can't jump outside of your brain and kind of look in um uh so so so, so especially in the age of Twitter, you, you do see people that you know for a fact are really smart saying some really stupid things <laughs> <laughs> and saying them with real passion. And, 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 and you, you begin to really, you really see the extent to which this is true, that, that, that 
it, it's it, it's when the st- the storytelling brain is is really working brilliantly is when we see the world in story terms, which is it's full of heroes and villains, mm. um, good goodies and baddies, and all the good is on my side and all the bad is on their side. Well, this kind of leads me on to a bigger question about storytelling in general, but also being a human in general, which is what makes a, a really effective story. And, it, and you talk about that, obviously, in the book, and it's what we've been we've been talking about now. And it, it kind of strikes me that some stories are much more effective than others because they are sort of weaponized yes. around all of these, these things that influence us as humans. Um, and... In the same way that maybe a Marvel film is a much more sort of world conquering thing because it's a much more simple narrative, mm. tightly structured around, you know, very well well drawn characters who have all of these certain, but it's, it's incredibly plot based. It's mm. talking, it, it it moves like all of the sort of little scientific texts that you, you you talk about in the book. And in the same way, some of the the most successful political narratives, I guess, that we are being being told some of the best marketing narratives are being told are much more in tune with our sort of primal brains and it's and that maybe that means that things that are sort of much more artful or um sometimes you know more original or like odd even Mm. narratively are are not going to be as popular as the big sort of wham bam lensed in stuff yeah but also but also when we're when we're trying to sort of talk about uh politics and, and and the message doesn't have those those big beats it's it's, it's going to be a much less successful message and and you know you can look at whatever um campaigns like like the brexit campaign for example which is an obvious one mm. but it, but had it hit all the beats you're kind of talking about in the science of storytelling in, yeah, sa- in some way or other that's it so the brexit campaign is a really interesting one because what what, what um psychologists who study this stuff uh, i'm thinking particularly of professor drew weston uh, who wrote the book The Political Brain, um, which I quote in the Science of Storytelling? Um, he, what what he, he 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 he's found, and 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 scholars like him have found, is is that people on the right, for whatever reason, tend to be much better at using storytelling techniques to to, to drive their point home than, than the left. So the left people, for some reason always tend to go to the data and the facts and look at the economy under the left-wing party look what happened you know all the, the data and facts but the brain doesn't really care about data and facts the, the brain cares about feelings like most of what we are is an emotional creature we've been emotional for millions of years longer than we've been thinking in language so how the brain tends to work is we feel what's true we feel what we believe and then the words and the arguments come along you know fractions of a second after that to justify and explain them and the right tends to be really good at, at connecting with those feelings and you, and you see it in trump make we're going to make america great again Rah! you know it's kind of banal it's such a banal meaningless <laughs> phrase but it feels great and it, and it touches that and it connects with that story that, that a certain component of the American public believe in, which is that America used to be good, and now it's rubbish. Well, it's it, speaks your, that. it speaks to your whole tribal thesis yeah, as well, that, exactly. that there is a bad guy. You know, I yeah. guess the, the Hillary Clinton message back then was, we're all in this together, let's, you know... Keep it, keep on going like we well, were going, but better. No, it, it's no like a, well, well, except that she, she she had a very negative story, which is which 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 was the, you know the, the political stories which tend to to work are ones that tap into those tribal narratives, but also are hopeful and optimistic. Hmm. So make America great again. Whereas I think Hillary Clinton's campaign was was so bad because it was just focusing on we hate Trump, we hate yeah. Trump. He's this and he's that and he's the other, and it didn't understand this kind of fundamental truth about the danger of story, which is that story's never true in a way. There's, there's always the, the fake story the brain tends to tell us is that, that these people over here believe different things to me because they're evil and, you know, they're villains, they're baddies. And so, so you ignore 
I mean, I mean to, to me, the, the big insight that, that I've taken away from all this, especially about politics, is, is that the truth, if the truth isn't a story, what is it? But the truth is a trade-off. So, so to take a, a Trumpian question, mm. um, uh, what, what are we going to do about immigration? Should we allow more immigration or should we clamp down on immigration? That's, you know, that's the build a wall whole, whole thing. Um, and so the truth of that is it's a trade-off that if we roll back kind of immigration and, and clamp down on it, there's going to be some good effects and there are going to be some bad effects. But what the story does is it denies if you're on the left, it denies all the good effects and mm. only accepts the bad effects. And then what Trump will do is they deny all the bad effects and only accept the good effects. And so, so, so the truth of any complex argument, whether it's for globalisation, whether it's for Brexit, whether it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's abortion, is a trade-off. It's, it's a combination of good effects and bad effects. But when our storytelling brains are, in, are working, we deny half of the truth. And you talk about the hero maker as well. Yeah. Like the brain is, we are all the heroes in our own story, which feels like a sort of familiar trope of like, mm. I guess when you're reading, often you are, especially if it's a first person point of view in a book, you are sort of inhabiting that character in some way. And sometimes books are amazing at getting us into the mindset of characters who we would usually find yeah. villainous. Yeah. But I think about something like in Gone Girl or, or something <laughs> like that, where you're reading a chapter of this woman who's you know, tricked her husband into thinking that she's been murdered mm. and, and all of this stuff. And you're kind of, in some way, you're, you don't want her to get found out and stuff. It's the same <laughs> with the talented Mr. Ripley. Yeah. And, um, and I guess that's a, strange, that's a strange thing that stories, it's one of the most unique things that, that stories do enable to Mm. us to inhabit people who have a different point of view that's a kind of a funny thing because everything you're saying there it is all about story it's all yeah. about telling a different story but actually stories weirdly are one of the few things that sort of can connect us yes. despite our different yeah, heroes like, in our brains well that's that's the great thing about stories it is, is, is story absolutely divides us i mean story is deadly and when when you see these big political debates it's conflicting stories and, it, and it's people on the left and the right on the right just frantically denying each other's truths but also stories the cure for all that you know ironically sto stories the way that, that that we can you know finally empathize across um some of these lines and, and, and I, one, one of the studies that really sort of stuck out for me that i write about in the book was this they did a study on um it was in, in america and it, it was people's beliefs sort of implicit beliefs about the arabs about arab people mm. and, and and so one test group were watched friends which is obviously for a sort of very white middle class um sitcom and another group watched little mosque on the prairie which was like a kind of a cosby show for yeah for arab characters shown in a very friendly and relatable way and they found that the little mosque on the prairie group's implicit attitudes towards arabs had improved after watching it compared to the friends group and those improvements were still persisted three months later which is an unbelievably fabulous thing you know so so, so um, psychologists have this um this phrase transportation so 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 we experience transportation when we're so immersed in a story that we 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 lose our sense of um awareness of the things that are going on around us we you know we miss the bus stop we forget to go to sleep that's when we're transported and there's one it's huge meta-analysis of something like 132 studies which which concluded that the the, 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 when we're in that state of transportation, we are vulnerable to having our beliefs change in concordance with the values of the story. So it just shows you how unbelievably powerful story is and why if you want to communicate, whether you're a politician or an activist or a leader trying to change behaviour, you have to communicate in story. Because if you're not communicating in story, you're not communicating. Because story is the language of the brain. Story is what brain does. Story is how we 
understand and explain the world. Story is how you communicate emotionally, not with kind of data and facts. So, 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 so there are, for me, they're just there's nothing more important if you want to kind of communicate, and and you kind of fight against this. The thing that I'm always it just feels quite faddish. Oh, everyone's into storytelling at the moment. Yeah, but it, but it, but it's the opposite of a fad, really. It's what we've been doing for tens of thousands of years, and it's only now that we've got this this kind of scientific sophistication that that that, that we begin to really understand what's happening when we communicate with story. And I guess the big conclusion is that we should all read more books, which, as an editor, is always a good thing. <laughs> Absolutely. It's exactly what we should do. Will Stoll, thanks so much for coming in and talking to us. Oh, thanks for your questions. Thank you, Tom. Cheers. That was Will Storr, in conversation with Tom Killingbeck. Our programme today was brought to you by William Collins, an imprint of HarperCollins Publishers, and was produced by Matt Hill at Rethink Audio. People who helped put this episode together are Tara Al-Azawi and Jack Chalmers. Share your thoughts on this podcast by emailing ideasmatter at harpercollins.co.uk or on social at WM Collins Books. You can buy The Science of Storytelling, Why Stories Make Us Human and How to Tell Them Better as a paperback audiobook or ebook, where Will dives even deeper into the ideas discussed this week. Thank you for listening, and keep an eye out for the first chapter from the audiobook of The Science of Storytelling, which will appear in this feed on Friday. And we'll meet you back here very soon, when we return with a new series of Ideas Matter. If this is your first encounter with our humble show, uh, don't forget to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on Acast to hear our other interviews with authors, including Bella Mackey, David Cameron, Clarissa Farr, and more. Thank you for listening, and goodbye. <laughs>